Hi, I'm Mikan Hana. And I'm Caliban. And we're the hosts of the Sailor Noob Podcast. I'm the expert. And I'm the noob. You're talking into the wrong end of the microphone. Aye, aye. Okay. Every week we watch a new episode of Sailor Moon and learn about monsters, fashion, food, culture, and of course, the Sailor Warrior of Love and Justice, Sailor Moon. All right. Now, what is her rank? Is she an admiral or a rear admiral? Okay, shh, shh. The ad's almost over. We're a couple of magical people, and every week we moon prison power make up a new episode. Better midships. Study as she goes. Please stop that. Sailor Noob is available every Friday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Shiver me timbers. It's worked so far, but we're not out yet. I want to know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I want to know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. Hailing Frequencies Open, and welcome to Enterprising Individuals, the Star Trek discussion podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban, and if T'Pol thinks that Trip smells bad, wait till she has to hear him munch on Funyuns all day long. I'm joined in this episode once again by Gooey Fame. Gooey is a musician and a podcaster and the host of shows like Pro Wrestling Required Viewing, which looks at wrestling adjacent pod culture, Virtual Theater, a podcast about video game movies and the stories that shape them, and Backtracking, a podcast that looks at the real world inspirations behind your favorite episodes of Star Trek. Gooey, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back on. Permission to come back aboard, granted. Today we'll be talking about the Andorian Incident, the sixth episode of the first season of Star Trek Enterprise. It's fair to say that Enterprise gets a bad rap. It's also fair to say that it might not be the most consistent or well-written Star Trek series, but come on, have you seen TOS Season 3? Enterprise debuted at a time when Trek's message of hope and human endeavor was being drowned out by world events, Google 9-11 for more information, and it's possible that a prequel series with a more intrepid, cowboyish incarnation of humanity may have been co-opted by those events just a little bit. Side note, if you haven't seen Connor Trenier play George W. Bush in the movie American Made, you are missing out. The task of telling the story of how humanity became the decider of the United Federation of Planets was always going to be a tough proposition, a sum less than its parts, but at least they gave it a shot. If the pitch is Sam Beckett from Quantum Leap killing space Al-Qaeda while securing humanity's place in the cosmos, (laughs) that's a buy in the room for a 20th century TV executive. But as we learned in 2001, the first year of the 21st century, the world, including entertainment, was rapidly changing and Trek had a lot of catching up to do. But like any Trek series, Enterprise, when it's doing what Trek does best, is a damn fun watch. But we'll talk about that a little later in the show. First of all, Gooey, welcome back yes, to the show. Hey. And what is going on with you? Uh, not much. I'm just, 
don't know. Just <laughs> how how incredible. How do you do it? How great how great it would be to have nothing going on. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's almost like so much going on that uh, <laughs> it's just a bl- it's just a low hum. We're yeah, we're doing a. I think we're doing a double duty recording session here. So it's, we, yes, it's peek behind the like, curtain. I was like, "What? What is going on today?" Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, Which a podcast of my marathon. several podcasts am I recording <laughs> for today? Yeah, uh, yeah, we are doing that. And I was thinking, like, it's almost like let's just talk for two hours, and then we'll just cut it in half, and just you know, whichever one goes, whichever uh, to whichever outlet is probably fine. That's, that's not a bad idea. I did my my preparation for this all in one go, so I was starting to think like Which... I was starting to compare everything together. I'm like thinking yeah. about. Casablanca. Right, yeah. <laughs> then uh, Bogey shows up, yeah, on the Sulaban <laughs> ship. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have been uh, stress eating uh, like a maniac. And uh, I oh, think no. at some point, maybe stress eating, you know, I mean, that's it's bad. It's how you gain a million pounds. But what if it's like leveling up? You know, what if I finally reach enough food and then I evolve like a Pokemon? What if I turn turn into Calizard, you know, from Caliban? <laughs> Would you become a, a stress type Pokemon? A stress type, po- or, yes. Or is that what you already are? Yeah. Well, yeah. I start off that way, but I would, yeah, reach my my next evolution. So to chill out, I'm trying to chill out. I'm having the good coffee, uh, and I even it's even in a clean mug uh, for mm. this episode. So I'm going to enjoy a little bit of that. <laughs> And I, I came up with a new uh, working procedure. Um, I have a laptop and then I have it ha- hooked up to a very large monitor um, that I use to like watch stuff when I'm watching um, Trek episodes and stuff for the show. Okay. Uh, and then I decided that wasn't enough. So I, I added a second laptop on my desk uh, to take notes for when I'm doing other things. So I don't know if you've ever seen a Neil Breen movie, but uh, I have almost <laughs> as many laptops as Neil Breen at this point. You're leveling up in in all terms of the all sense of the terms, I guess. You're you're physical, you're technological. Yes. Yes, I'm <laughs> I'm doubling down for yes. sure. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> well, uh we got to meet in person uh, a little while ago to record an episode of our other Star Trek podcast, which I'm sure will come up once or twice on this show called Backtracking. Uh and in doing so, uh you got to uh, introduce me to a arcade in, in your hometown mm. uh called Underground Retrocade and it's basically what it sounds like. It is a bunch of old style uh stand-up video game cabinets. Uh, kids, I don't know, man. Google Images, I guess. Uh, but otherwise, uh, yeah. And you know, you get in for a nominal fee, and then you get to play uh, unlimited uh, old style video games. And I thought it was really, really awesome. Yeah, I, and I love that. I love that. You know, entrance fee, and then do whatever. Because I think you're you're more willing to like try out stuff you wouldn't normally. You know. Yeah. There, you don't have that like, oh, I don't know if I want to put a quarter in this. What if it doesn't even work, you know? Right, right. I thought that I had played every second of Burger Time that I ever would again. But then <laughs> when I was walking by Burger Time, I was like, I can play Burger Time. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, uh, I was like, oh, what's this, you know, Pac-Man knockoff game? Well, I might as well try it. And I, <laughs> it looks cool. And I play it for a little bit. I'm like, well, this is. Certainly, I see why Pac-Man was the popular one, but yeah. that was fun. <laughs> I like how it can, you know, open up new new horizons in the arcade world, even though these games are, you know, 30 years old or yeah. more. Yeah, it opened up a horizon for me in that I got a chance to actually play 
uh, the Star Trek arcade game, yes. which I had, I had seen. I've seen dusty, broken ones at like amusement companies. I saw one at uh, what was it? At Shore Leave Convention that was for sale for twenty eight hundred bucks. It's a little steep for me, uh, but yeah, I got to finally play one that was in perfect condition, and it was mm. a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. I I felt like I played it a little bit too, and I felt like it was maybe a little bit like like the controls aren't like it's not totally fluid it's not like if you compare it to the like star wars game that has that similar look yeah the what do you call that the rotoscope look it's 3d vector graphics vector that's the word i was looking for yeah it looks less uh you know like it feels i mean less like fluid because you've got your warp and you've got your torpedoes and and your uh regular phasers and it all kind of is like you know, when you're turning, you got to spin this knob and it turns uh, not as fast as you want it to. But for me, it's like it actually did feel a little bit like kind of how I would imagine, you know, controlling a, a ship like that would be. It's like a little bit more complicated to turn than like, a you know, uh, an X-Wing is, you know. Right. There's all these moving pieces. So I, I really enjoyed it, actually. Yeah, I I love they had that uh, Star Wars uh, arcade one too, and I played that uh, quite a bit. Um, that's another game that it's just so it just screams eighties to you, you know the yeah, um, yeah. the black background with the very simplistic uh, the vector graphics and everything, and I could play something like that all day long. But it's also just really easy and like repetitive. Um, I was watching a video, or I guess there's a saying in the video game industry that like a good video game is usually a thirty second loop you know of actions or activities that you just find a good loop you repeat it over and over and then the rest of the job is disguising the fact that a player is just doing the same thing over sure. and over again making it fun and i think that star that star wars one um, really does that uh this one is a little different yeah i think you're you're right on with how it's sort of different in its controls but i think i tried to approach it very um s- simulation uh, esque uh, in, in like we're gonna go forward. You gotta do this. You get to that. And if you played a little looser, I was kind of spinning that knob at one point. You know, like a uh, like a foosball table uh-huh. <laughs> pole. Uh, and you played a little like run and gun. Um, not necessarily how you might command the Enterprise. Um, you, you can get farther. I actually uh, took a video of myself playing that. If people want to check that out on the uh, uh, Enterprising Individuals Instagram. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of fun. So th- thanks a lot for uh, for taking me there. Yeah, that was a great time. It's part of this whole retro uh, kind of aesthetic or this hunger for um, things from our past uh, that I I see a lot in pop culture, especially nerd pop culture these days. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to dig too far into it, uh, but we are going to talk about a show uh, that's almost 20 years old uh, at this point today on the show. I... um, I, they also had a lot of those uh, those fighter games, like the side-scrolling fighter games. Yes, uh, which yeah. I played a yeah so many of those in my lifetime. You know the final fights, um, you know, or the double dragons or whatever. And that's it, when I'm like shopping on the Nintendo Switch store. That's something that I I will drop uh, some money <laughs> on. You know, I got um like a final fight. Uh, what do you call it? Like a collection of games. So it had like Knights of the Round and Final Fight and all those games from. Uh, whether it's I think it's Capcom or whoever made those you get like 10 of them at a pop and they're all the same thing it's just like you've got a sword instead of uh, being a shirtless mayor I think there's a lot of cool shirtless mayor I love that's one of the best video game characters of all time (laughs) actually um but I've I never like 
was able for to get those type to click with me because it's either I'd play them in the arcade and I was kind of bad at them and so it's like well i don't want to keep putting money in this or i'd get the home version uh, and it's like there's nothing stopping you so like yeah it's, it's like <laughs> yeah. why try to be good at it when i just keep re- continuing you know yeah i do f- <laughs> I, I feel i do feel like i'm getting away with something yeah when i play those and you go oh i'm dead well here we go again yeah um, just crank the quarter button up and yeah yep 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 but i mean i I really like those games, and I think that they give you a lot of good life lessons. You know, it's okay to eat food that's on the ground. It's fine. <laughs> Doing yeah. that, your special is uh, jump and attack at the same time, but it will take some of your own health away. So it's <laughs> wise to never try that hard. It's too stressful, and yeah, you know, just good life pick, lessons. You can pick up computers lying around and smash people with yeah. them. That's... And just just go ahead and stab somebody. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I was like, how oh, the guys are like, the whole point is Cody and Hagar are like honed. They have their fighting skills. But man, if you get a chance to get a knife, pick that thing up. Just stab somebody. <laughs> yeah, it's like. This is the final fight. <laughs> there are no more fights after this. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, I'm exercising a bit of Captain's prerogative today, uh, again, on this season. Uh, we branched out a lot in this season of Enterprising Individuals uh, talking about Shows that don't get as much love as TNG and DS9 and even TOS. You know, we've talked about the animated series. We've talked about um, Discovery on this show. uh, And we've talked about Enterprise. We did it once this season, but I wanted to kind of double back and do it again and talk about an episode of Enterprise that is inarguably a good episode to just spoil, I guess, our reviews of it. Um, plus it's kind of a Halloween episode. I'll talk about it later, but this episode came out, this episode came out on October 31st of 2001. So, uh, it kind of fits, uh, when this is coming out just after (laughs) Halloween. Uh, but yeah. uh, And it's also got Jeffrey Combs, uh, coming back to the franchise for the billionth time and creating, uh, an all new character, which is really what he's good at. Yeah. I wish they would have, uh, leaned more into the Halloween (laughs) nature of that. That would have been great. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, as we'll talk about, uh, well, you know what? We'll talk about all this uh, later. Uh, I'll show you all the connections and how they go together oh, ooh, okay, okay. Uh, when we get there. I was going to say before we get rolling, though, like what? what's your opinion of, of Enterprise? Um, I think, you know, you, you made me think earlier about how Enter- Enterprise is kind of, it's, it's weird because it's like a lot of it is trying to like feel like classic star trek but it is at this weird moment in time it's coming yeah. out where like a lot like people are kind of like a lot of media is like changing drastically especially after you know after 9-11 and everything so it's it is this weird mix and you know and it's, I s- it's not just in subject matter um it's also in, you know another show that came out right after 9-11 uh, was 24 and of course, <laughs> it could have just been an interesting experiment, but thanks to Osama bin Laden, it became a show that ran for you know ten years. Yeah, and, but also it was this completely different thing where it was, uh, hey Trek, you like your little one shot episodes? Well, forget that. This is you have to watch every single episode of this twenty four hour totally. day yeah. to never miss. Uh, yeah, and that I think just really presaged like the kind of things that we'd be looking at later on, which is. Reality shows, you know, shows that have this um, hard baked in continuity, um, YouTube videos. Uh, Trek was really was a dinosaur, ironically, when it was trying to refresh and go back to the egg part of their franchise. 
Yeah, and and so one thing b- because it is like it does hit a lot of the same notes that you know the previous series did hit. Um, but it's one thing that I said when we covered an episode on our podcast, backtracking, was the ep- the episode we had watched. I didn't think was very. It wasn't very good, but it was. I felt like it was very watchable because it just like felt like Star Trek in a lot of ways, like the music and like the way the story was progressing and, uh, you know, like Odo was there, like I said. So, <laughs> and like, this is that same kind of thing, like maybe spoiling how I felt, but like, I thought the episode was all right. But then it was like the whole time I was like, yeah, this is, this is fun to watch. It's, you know, it's Star Trek. Yeah. If people haven't heard that episode, uh, we're talking about Oasis, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, Oasis. And comparing it, uh, well, of course, to The Tempest, but also to Forbidden Planet, the uh, sci-fi classic. And I think that we remarked, or I told an anecdote about how Rene Abergenois, of course, guest stars in the episode. And they were pointing out, or somebody on the set was pointing out, didn't you guys do an episode of the show where you go to some place and there's a guy and it's kind of <laughs> like The Tempest and he's just like, Oh yeah, yeah. I guess we did that. Yeah, <laughs> it's just that is uh, that's like the height of of being checked out. <laughs> like I know that this franchise has been around for like thirty five years at that point, but I think part of the problem was uh, they were kind of checked out. Um, and I hope that we can prove today that when they're not checked out and they've got you know something exciting to do, uh, I think they they really they really can land it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, let's uh, let's talk about what they landed today. Uh, it's called <laughs> The Andorian Incident, the sixth episode of the first season of Star Trek Enterprise. It first aired on October 31st of 2001. The teleplay is by Fred Decker, and I believe that we've talked about him on the show, but maybe not. Uh, if we haven't, he is probably most famous for his film work, having written and directed the horror movie House and Night of the Creeps, as well as RoboCop 3 and the 1987 cult hit Monster Squad, with his, oh. which he co-wrote with his friend and UCLA classmate Shane Black. So there's your Halloween connection there. Okay. He also co- <laughs> weak as it is. He also co-wrote the screenplay for Black's 2018 reboot of the Predator franchise entitled The Predator. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> yeah. So as far as like people wanting nostalgia and wanting things, uh, you know, to look like they were before, uh, that's kind of Shane Black's whole career at this point. Yeah. Decker actually wrote three episodes of Enterprise in total, and he served as a consulting producer for the entire first season of Enterprise. The story for the episode is by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga and Fred Decker himself. Uh, Berman and Braga, clearly no introduction necessary, talked about them a lot on the show. Uh, Suffice it to say they're the co-creators of Enterprise. Yeah, certainly. The episode is directed by Roxanne Dawson, the actress behind Voyager's Bellana Taurus, of course. She became a prolific director on Enterprise, directing 10 episodes, in addition to the two Voyager episodes that she directed as well. And she is directing up a storm today. She's a very (laughs) successful uh, TV director. The star date for the episode is not valid because they were not using star dates, but the date on the Gregorian calendar is June 19th, 2151. And since I kind of picked this, it's my assignment to give it a 25-word synopsis. And here's my 25-word synopsis of the Andorian incident. While visiting a Vulcan monastery, Archer and crew are taken hostage by Andorians who believe the monks are hiding a clandestine and treaty-breaking observation post. All right, yeah, that's uh, nice and succinct there. And treaty breaking is hyphenated. Uh, that's a little little pro tip. That's how you cheat. Ooh, okay. Oh, okay. Was that exactly the right amount of words? I don't mean words? to be some Johnny come lately. 
<laughs> From a hole in the wall. Most people have to struggle through this segment. Well, not most people, but maybe I did. Well, that's an before, example of but... cause and effect, I guess. <laughs> I, I can't think of any more hyphenated uh, words, but yeah. Uh, here's some interesting <laughs> facts from the memory banks about this episode. Uh, this is the first appearance of the Andorians in Enterprise. And I haven't totally worked it out, but possibly chronologically in the franchise. Uh, their makeup was redesigned by franchise makeup designer Michael Westmore. The Andorians and Shran in particular would go on to be recurring characters in Enterprise, uh, but they were almost never in this episode. The original plan was for the episode to feature the Gorn as the antagonists. Um, of course, the Gorn are the giant lizard-headed guys from the whole, uh, you know, arena episode. Yeah, they they don't they show up they show up in Enterprise, don't they? Or am I thinking of something else? Uh, I believe they do. I th- I think they show up and they're like. I think they're like CG by this time, and it's really weird. Yeah. Yeah, they do. That's right. Yeah. And they're also in the um, the Star Trek uh, 2009 video game. Um, oh, yeah. And they're almost, <laughs> they're like velociraptors almost. Like, they really went all out with it. What was wrong with the Gorn? The Gorn is fine. Uh, okay, we don't need to get into that. But I feel <laughs> like the Gorn was fine in the original series. Like, let's we don't need to change how they look. They were fine. Uh, I agree. Um, yeah, I think you know. I think the the theme of this episode is going to be nostalgia. I think you know you got a bunch of old hands working on a Star Trek sure, prequel yeah. series, and they're like, well, let's do the Gorn. But the consensus was that can the Gorn talk or can they speak English? Uh, and, you know, an important part of this is going to be the antagonists ultimately, you know, communicating and cooperating with Archer. So if they're just like, maybe that's not going to work. So uh, <laughs> they swap them out for the Andorians uh, with, I think, a similar nod to nostalgia. Uh, according to Brandon Braga, they wanted to take the Andorians, um, a race that had been seen as kind of silly, and make them cool with a revamp. Um, they also wanted to make them more believable as a culture and have them fit better into the galactic neighborhood uh, of, of that time period. So the conflict with the Vulcans was devised. Um, and Doria and Vulcan were already established as being in proximity to each other uh, in mm. the DS9 episode in the Pale Moonlight. And so okay. um, this conflict between these two, two races would continue for six more episodes uh, into the fourth season uh, and finally be resolved in the episode Kershara. Yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the. I don't know. I'm. It's been a while since I've seen those, but I felt like remembering that that was something I, I was at least interested in while watching Enterprise. Like I thought it was cool. The, I thought the Andorians, in uh, contrast to the Gorn, uh, looked. <laughs> co- they looked cool. They were interesting. You know, like they're a little edgy. So I don't yeah. know. I, I liked them. Yeah, it's it's cool too how. You've got this running thing in Enterprise about how humanity is uh, has met, you know, these wonderful aliens. And then, of course, as humanity gets older, they realize that the aliens aren't as as amazing as they think. And they've got their own dirty secrets and, and dark problems. You know, it's totally. like a kid. It's a kid growing up and being realizing that his dad doesn't have all the answers, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so, unfortunately, uh, we don't get far enough in Enterprise to get out of the uh, you're not my real dad uh, phase uh, that Archer and uh, humanity seems to have against the Vulcans. But, yeah, the Andorians get to be this that their war with them becomes this like uncharacteristic, uh, dirty little secret that they have. Um, Fred Decker was assigned to write the episode. Um, this episode would define them, of course, as being um, emotional in contrast to the Vulcans and kind of paranoid. Cool fact, their antennae, uh, the antennae of the Andorians in the episode were controlled by individual puppeteers 
using, you know, those radio control things like uh, RC cars. And there were some concerns that the antennae would distract from or overpower the performances of the actors. So they kept the movements very subtle and they developed like a specific language or semaphore of emotional positions uh, to, to keep the motions consistent. Um, I think I heard them described as kind of like cat's ears, like they would, you know, sort oh. of go forward if they were sort of interested in something and they would sort of flip back if they were sort of thinking or, or they were kind of, um, you know, um, discouraged or something like that. Yeah, I, d- I definitely noticed them a lot, but I thought it all always looked like anytime I noticed, I was like, oh, this looks pretty cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. And to that end, uh, I believe the two non-speaking Andorians uh, just didn't they didn't move. They, were just, oh. they didn't have uh, puppeteers, so. Oh yeah, it's like the background actor. You don't like, want some background guy, <laughs> yeah, wiggling around with his with his antenna, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know what? It worked. The Andorians proved very popular with fans, and plans were immediately made for them to return, which they did in the episode "Shadows of Pajem," the fourteenth episode of season one. This is the first mention of Surak in Enterprise. He's, of course, the father of logic to the Vulcan people and the exploration of his teachings and their continuing effect on Vulcan society would be explored in later episodes of Enterprise. He actually would appear in the fourth season episodes, The Forge and Awakening. There's Oh, and also, of course, he appears in uh, The Savage Curtain, the third mm. season episode of TOS. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember that one? <laughs> I want to this... talk about... <laughs> I want to talk about that episode someday I, because, it, first of all, it's got a great alien design in the what's-his-name. I can't remember, but he's like a little folding transformer rock. And then Abe Lincoln shows up. Yeah, uh, that's all I remember. I, was, <laughs> I bet they really wanted Hitler to show up, but there was a lot of guys that fought in World War II, and they were probably like, ah, let's not do Hitler. And then, like, Surak is there, and he's like, let's not fight. And he dies, like, immediately. Oh, well, that that kind of buries him a little bit, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, exactly. He jobs for them, yeah. And it's not in like a cool... <laughs> he doesn't like sacrifice himself in a cool way. His whole thing is like, look, I'm not a violent person. It's a moral victory if they violently kill me. Uh, and our Star Trek heroes have never felt that way, at least not at this point uh, in their development. And so, yeah, I think he has shown to... Um, he c- kind of gets uh, bitched out pretty pretty quick. Isn't Lincoln in, like, he's in outer space? Like, yes. Okay. <laughs> no explanation. Yeah, oh pretty great. Oh, my gosh. Okay, pretty yeah. Pretty great. Uh, there's a lot of interesting prop facts about this episode, and I just, you know, we don't usually dig too deep into the props in the show, but if you're interested in that, you know, this is a, a more recent series, Enterprise, so a lot more of the props that were used and, and reused uh, are accounted for. So there's information about those uh, where they came from, how were they they were designed, and stuff like that on Memory Alpha. So if you're into that, definitely check it out. There's uh, Let's talk about some of the guest stars in this episode. Jeffrey Combs, of course, appears as Commander Thylek Shran, who became a major recurring character in subsequent seasons. And he, um, I mean, what do you say about Jeffrey Combs at this point? In fact, I don't think we've actually really focused on Jeffrey Combs uh, on this show before. So this is our chance to do it. All right, Jeffrey. <laughs> He, Jeff, I mean, welcome. He, yes, he's always just like pulling out the stops. I feel like he does like, yeah, because he does like two characters in in one series, right? Like yeah. he's a, a heavy hitter. Yeah, he is so great. Uh, I respect him so much, and I'm sure that there are a lot of Star Trek fans probably listening to this who who have met him. I've never met him, but I would love to. And I, I don't know if I had more than you know thirty seconds to talk to him, I'd just try to get to the bottom of like what his 
plan is or like what his what he thought his career was going to be you know because he yeah i think that he has carved out such a um like a good uh career as this guy in tv shows b c movies um these sort of genre picks doing these character bits and he's a fantastic actor he is very handsome like i feel like he could have easily been uh, he could have been like a, a bigger name, uh, and yet he's just known as this really – anytime he shows up in something, I know two things. One, he's going to nail it. And two, it's probably not what you would consider like triple uh, A entertainment, but it's probably going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's – um, God, what's – there's something more appealing about that at times too. <laughs> yeah, okay. So maybe this it's... is that uh, that garbage thing that we were talking about. Not, not even garbage because it's like – He's good. It's good. Yeah. Like it's Star Trek. I, like that's not, you know, the movies he's in or whatever. But it's right, it's almost right. like it's like yeah. This is you. You almost get to be in your mind. You get to feel a little uh, satisfied and be like, this is the real shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. He was in thirty-one episodes of Deep Space Nine. Yes. Uh, he was in one episode of Star Trek Voyager, and eleven episodes in total of Star Trek Enterprise. Um, and there's a couple little things about his, some of his appearances. Uh, he played uh, both Wei Yun and Brunt in different scenes of the DS9 episode Dogs of War, uh, <laughs> making him one of only three Star Trek actors to play two different characters in the same episode. Okay, I think I, I can guess the others. There's Go for it. Brent Spiner would be one. Yeah, that that's absolutely true. Um, it, two different characters? Is that two, what we're... Two, well, the distinction of the fact that I'm pulling from Memory Alpha is uh, two unrelated characters. So uh, like characters that okay. you know don't meet on screen via compositing or aren't you know oh, like okay. brothers or whatever. So okay, I have no idea. <laughs> well, I'll give you uh, the tough one, and then maybe you can try for the uh, easy one. Uh, the tough one is the uh, actor Brian Martinson, who played Pete Durst. Uh, who was a Voyager officer, and the character oh. Sulan uh, in Faces. This is where they meet the, um, you know, the people's faces are falling off because uh, they have the disease in, in Voyager, the phage. Um, so that's oh, one of those things. Yes, yes, yes. That's one of those things where you can have your extra be like, oh, okay, he's, you know, got a blue uniform on or whatever. And then some uh, other guy who's just got you know, a garbage bag on his head. So you're good there. And then the other one is, uh, it's probably something that I like, would kick myself for not knowing, right? Well, let's keep you from kicking yourself. So <laughs> logically, what are we talking about? The holodeck, right? That's how you do that. Okay, okay. Holodeck character. Uh, okay. What what series? <laughs> okay, it's TNG. TNG holodeck? I, 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 I'm tapping out. Who you've is see, it? You've seen the episode this year. This we, year? We watched it for a... Oh, uh, episode we didn't end up doing for backtracking. Oh, what what wasn't that uh the defector? Is that what you're talking That's about? That's the episode. Oh, I don't even remember what they go on the they go on the holodeck for that. <laughs> yes, we're still gonna do this one on backtracking. There's a oh, is there a side holodeck story? Yes. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> it wasn't very memorable. <laughs> well, yeah, no. Time's up. <laughs> yeah. Play- it's it's uh, Patrick Stewart. He plays, of course, Jean-Luc Picard, 
And he also plays Michael Williams. Oh, yeah. Henry's soldiers from Henry V. Yeah, if the cause be not good. Yeah. That that scene always messes me up because I always think, oh, like, Picard's, like, acting with Data. He's helping him out. No, he's not. And, and then he <laughs> yeah. steps in, and I'm always like, wait, what? Did he pre-record himself? I don't understand. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, it, for, I guess we're giving, this is what we get up to on backtracking people. <laughs> uh, I think he just wanted to do it, and they knew because he's got a long, you know, RSC Royal Shakespeare Company background oh. that they uh, just put him in there. But that yeah. makes so much of the series make sense to me because I, <laughs> not so much, but I remember a later episode, uh, Crusher is trying to get him to act in a play, and he's like, you know, they have that joke where he's like, "I'm not an actor," and I'm like, "What do you? T- we've already seen you do it in the show, but apparently we haven't." <laughs> no, no. Oh my uh, gosh! He does help out Data though in the second to last episode, uh, Emergence, where they're uh, doing the Tempest. Oh, okay. Okay, so. And also, uh, more trivia for you. It's not the only time that Combs has done it because he played Wayoon and also an unnamed Hollowsweet guest in What You Leave Behind, the last episode of DS9. Oh, I didn't didn't even know that. Okay. Yeah, that last last, uh, episode of DS9, um, just about everybody, I don't don't think there's any extras, everybody in the Hollowsweet in that party scene near the end is a staffer, is a you know former actor ah. or just yeah somebody who's there. They did that with um, these are the voyages as well. The last episode of Enterprise. He's like the the Michael Jordan of doubling up in Star Trek episodes. <laughs> you know, you're the Michael Jordan of comparing people to Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank uh, he's, you. He's <laughs> he's also one of only five people to play seven or more different characters in the Star Trek franchise. And uh, I won't go through the whole list, but J.G. Hertzler, the actor behind Martok, is another one. Oh, okay. Okay. Shout out. Yeah, Paramount is just, you know, they have actors they like, and we've got a lot of makeup and latex here, so let's just bring them back. You know, who cares? I always want to know, like, I I would love to know the stories behind a lot of these people. Like, obviously, it's it's like they see them and they go, oh, you're great. Come back. But I I just want to know the, the details of, you know, their career with Star Trek. I want to know if anybody ever turned him down. Oh, if the, oh, like on Star Trek or anywhere? Yeah, like they came. Well, Star Trek, like they came on, uh, did a something or other, and then Paramount's like, that worked great. That guy was on time. He was really good. Uh, let's get him for another thing. And he's like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Mm, I'm yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's someone. I mean, there's probably big gets like uh, like Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> I, bet <laughs> I bet they asked him Kelsey again. Kelsey Grammer would have killed to do it again. I bet they probably couldn't afford him. <laughs> okay, yeah. I guess he probably so. did the one he did on scale. It, Andy Robinson tells a story about how he, when he first was approached for Garrick, he, you know, he wasn't really like a Star Trek guy specifically, but he was like, I don't know. And then he took the part, and he, they were putting the makeup on him, and he is um, like his character, uh, claustrophobic. So as oh. they're putting the makeup on, he got like you know twenty minutes in of the three or four hour process, and he's like, no, 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 I can't do this, I can't do this. Uh, and he just sort of uh, you know, clearly calmed down and went forward with it. But maybe if he hadn't been able to get his head around that, we just would have got one one episode with Garrick. Are you? We should have gotten Kelsey Grammer as Garrick. That would have been. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, that you just planted that in my mind, and I was like, this is ideal. Plain, simple Garrick. 
I'm yes. listening. That's not a bad bit of casting. Oh, boy. I want to go to the universe where that is real. Uh, <laughs> who else is in this episode? Uh, Bruce French appears as the Vulcan elder. Uh, French has had a long career in film and television. And he's also appeared in TNG, Voyager, and as a Sona officer in Star Trek Insurrection. So that's another one of those guys that is on the short list. Nice. Stephen Dennis appears as Tholos. Uh, he has distinguished himself as the kind of rapey uh, Andorian in this episode. Oh, yeah. A little, <laughs> just a little unnecessary, too, with trying to... Little, I, I said they were edgy, but it was it overwritten. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> didn't add to it too much, I didn't feel like. That's the RoboCop 3 touch that Frank, Frank, Fred Decker brings <laughs> oh, yeah. to your... Uh, to your uh, production. Dennis, uh, he's an actor, a writer, and a theater director as well. He's the only actor, here's another little fact for you, uh, he's the only actor to play five different characters in a single Star Trek season, and that is the fifth season of Voyager. So he is very comfortable wearing makeup, yeah. Uh, He reprises the role of Tholos in the follow-up episode to this, The Shadows of Pajem. Jeff Ricketts appears as Caval. Ricketts is an actor, and he's also an acting instructor. He appeared previously on Enterprise as an Axanar captain in the third episode of Enterprise, mm. Fight or Flight. I actually believe that's the second episode, uh, just counting by production order. And Richard Tanner appears as the Vulcan initiate. Uh, this is the guy who <laughs> that Archer punches out at the end. Yeah. Uh, Tanner is an actor, writer, and a producer. He's had a long career in TV and film, and he appeared recently as shadowy figure in the 2018 short Taco Bell Web of Fries. No. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, uh, yeah. I think Look, I've seen that. I, I have, yeah. I'm not the uh, editor in chief of Adbusters, but, you know, I don't love advertising uh, and what it uh, what it does, but. It's a pretty well-made short film. <laughs> it's just oh, kind of yep. silly and stupid. Yeah, stars uh, Josh Duhamel as this just sort of mild-mannered guy who wonders why Taco Bell doesn't have fries, and it leads him down a rabbit hole. I never want, I don't want to enjoy that or laugh at it at all, but there are a <laughs> couple moments in that yeah. commercial where I'm like holding back a little a little uh, chuckle, and I'm like, no! <laughs> yeah. So he is in that. Uh, let's talk about this episode. Uh, I I was remarking, I was thinking about why people don't like Enterprise. Um, I guess I don't want to get too far into it. We did talk about this. Um, we talked about Twilight earlier in the year, but it's still kind of weird to me because I turn on a, a Enterprise and yeah, I, I get people's frustrations with it. Um, there are things that I am really impressed by. There are things that I go, well, why did they do that? And there's also yeah. things, you know, like a lot of Trek series, there's a lot of elements that clearly they thought we're, we're just going to take off and people are going to love this, and you don't. And they just keep doing it, and you wonder why they keep doing it, and you wish they'd stop doing it, and they never stop. <laughs> but yeah. I recently talked about the episode where no one has gone before uh, with author Catherine Valenti on an earlier show, and it is the sixth episode of TNG as this is the sixth episode of Enterprise, and this episode is leaps and bounds past what uh, where no one has gone before in terms of the solidity of it, knowing who the characters are, uh, delivering action, mm, delivering okay. fun stuff. Like, it is so tight. And yeah, you've got a production, a Star Trek production that knows what it's doing, but this show only went for four years, but it knew what it was doing, or at least knew how to do it right out of the gate. Yeah, it does have 
kind of like I was saying too, like earlier, where it's like it just feels like Star Trek. It does have like this polish to it that early like TNG doesn't have. Um, and people were, you know, people are obviously more willing to wade through the first couple seasons of TNG because they know what's coming. Or at the time, it was maybe new Star Trek. But with this, I feel like it, it has to deliver more. You know, it is has that to what do it better. Is, it, is that we've just we've seen this before, like in the case of Oasis, like we've seen this before. So you've got to bring us something bigger, something better, something more, uh, or we're just going to turn it tune out. I think maybe I I've been trying to figure it out too for a while. Cause the first time I watched through the whole series, I actually enjoyed it for the most part. There was, like you said, a lot of stuff that was like, I wish they would stop doing this, but I was like, Oh, I kind of, I kind of wished it kept going. Yeah. But, um, I now revisiting it, I am a little bit like, like even this episode I enjoyed, but there was something about it that I was like, uh, this is kind of just like Star Trek. I feel like I've seen, but with added things that annoy me. Okay. Like, like the, I think we talked about it previously, but like the relationship, uh, between with T'Pol and Archer and them, I I feel is obnoxious and, um, kind of the prequely nature of certain things where it's like they're hinting at stuff that's going to come. <laughs> that is one of those things I wish they'd stop, but yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. So it, it, it is this weird thing where it's like, I'm enjoying this, but it's not like, I feel like I wanted it to like, I'm like Star Trek, please blow my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, holding off on the blowing of the minds and the things that, uh, that we don't like, I, I, I agree that I think that this is just, I think this is solid. I think this is Star Trek, you know? And I mean, yeah, yeah. I, other than the things that might annoy you or the way that you feel like the show might let you down, I feel like if you are sick of Enterprise, then you're sick of Star Trek. Like it's, mm. it's still recognizable as Star Trek. And so I don't know what was going on at the time that people were just, weren't having this. This happened a little bit to Voyager as well. And now with, you know, 20, 25 years of distance, which, oh my God, but that's where we are, you look back and you watch them on, you know, streaming or or, or whatever, and I really like Voyager, and I'm finding myself really liking Enterprise, and I don't, you mentioned Zeitgeist before, I don't know what's different now, if it's me, or if it's what we expect out of televisual entertainment, that so many people, you know, Voyager is the most streamed Star Trek show on streaming networks. Um, yeah. So like why now? Why now are people are like, oh yeah, yeah, it's great. When back then I couldn't swing a I couldn't swing a targ without hitting one of my Star Trek friends who's like, oh, it sucks. I think it I think Zeitgeist is a big thing with it. It's like when I when I was getting into Star Trek, there's a lot of things that you're just like told and kind of internalize it about the series that are true. One is like you know, Wesley Crusher is annoying and he, he saves the day way too much. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I recently, you know, went through the whole first series, a season of TNG and I, you know, I felt like that a couple times, but I was like, this really is not what the, it's like making a mountain out of a molehill a little bit. And I think that is true of like almost every series where it's like, you have like these memes of, you know, what to expect from every character or season. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like, I think now that there's distance between it, 
and people are just kind of like, you know, a lot of people who aren't watching Star Trek now on like Netflix are probably not like going on like a message board and, and reading, you know, those, those deeply ingrained things. So I think we can maybe get some new, new thoughts out there about it. Yeah. I think that in terms of the, the meme ability or the, 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 what you kind of expect in terms of, I know this character, like you put, I don't know, you put the top seven, uh, the magnificent seven from TNG, uh, on a subway car and you can just you can tell how they're all going to react to whatever you know a, a flash yeah. mob or a, a guy that's peeing himself or, or whatever whereas like enterprise why is a guy peeing himself i'm just imagining this is a new york subway <laughs> car in the movies uh, in the movie joker um it's but, <laughs> but uh oh boy hey if you want to hear me and gooey talk about how awesome martin scorsese and francis ford coppola are jump on over to backtracking because we're going to talk about that over there but anyway, uh, I feel like these are the most shallow characters of this era of Trek. Oh, yeah, I could I could back that for sure. And partially, it's maybe that they didn't get the full run of Seven. But yeah, I just feel like, you know, Hoshi's Hoshi and Malcolm is <laughs> just Malcolm. And we get a little bit of revelations. We get a little bit of um, interesting stuff, but not, not really. Like Malcolm's got a sister. You know, Otherwise, you just don't feel... Uh, as connected to these characters and that they're as deep as other characters. Yeah. When we get a scene with them in this episode up on the ship, I'm like, who are these people? Like, I I know I've watched every single episode they're in, but like, I know, I know nothing about them. (laughs) Yeah. So even the characters though, that we like, I do feel like I have a better sense of like the stuff that I know about them. Like when I see them and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, that's them. It's like, I kind of don't like, the traits that I know, you know, I find, yeah, uh, the you know the main characters a little obnoxious. So that maybe that's another current running underneath it that makes it a little bit uh, the barrier of entry a little bit harder. See, it's enticing though because doing that, making you know, scuffing our characters up, making them not perfect, is what's happening on Discovery right now, and yeah, yeah, it's really working for some people and. <laughs> it, it works mostly for me, but I also find it kind of annoying a little bit. But I, but I really like that as a premise for this show, and, and I think this episode—it's one of the reasons I picked it—is a perfect encapsulation of that. Like, what are these guys doing out here? They're literally here, yeah. flying through space, and they go someplace that isn't—you know—they remark early in the episode. Uh, we got all these maps, so we're not really explorers, are we? We're on the map, and they go to a place that's on the map. And immediately find themselves in the middle of a international incident that pays off way, way down the line. But if they had just not been themselves and had just sat there, got punched a couple times, answered their questions, the Andorians would have taken off. No problem. But humans in this universe, and I guess probably in the real universe too, just have to meddle in everything. And so they end up like creating this huge intergalactic or interstellar conflict because they just won't butt out as everybody is telling them to do. I like that as the characterization of humans at this early point, you know, this pre-Federation time. And also it's perfect for the time period, not us doing it in real life, but the fact that, you know, the American adventurism, it's it's reflected in this sort of early version of Starfleet, which... 
we probably should check ourselves before we wreck anything else in terms of our adventurism. But I think it's a good parallel for a Starfleet that hasn't figured it out yet. There should be some kind of rule for this. Hmm. <laughs> some sort of directive? <laughs> Possibly. Um, you sort of convinced me to like it a little bit more because I was thinking when I was watching this and, and, and like other episodes I've watched recently where there is this like idea of, okay, humans going into space for, you know, to explore now for real. Um, but they kind of have, they kind of have people like babysitting them. Like the Vulcans are supposed to be like babysitting them. Yeah. Uh, but like I... I was thinking watching these episodes like that I didn't really feel that way watching it. Like that would be an interesting an interesting uh take to be like what is it like yeah when you have someone looking over your shoulder but you sort of actually put the episode in a context that it sort of was doing that like you know they're forced to go somewhere they've been I don't know why that didn't click with me at the time, but I do. <laughs> I, I, welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. But that's it. That is what makes me want to rewatch it even more to see like if that theme comes up again. Because because all I can remember is them being like, you know, ah, oh, we got the we got this Vulcan lady here. Like, let's let's. It, it felt it feels <laughs> very like on their side a little bit too much. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's save it. We're gonna talk about that. Save it. Uh, I I wanted to talk quick about uh, just continuing in that theme. Like, I I think that there are some tropes that get uh, repeated in Enterprise that appear in all throughout science fiction, and I mean even just regular fiction, like the idea of humanity being shepherded by um, a superior race, you know, aliens kind of like giving us some help. And then usually in fiction, it turns out that they have some weird ulterior motive or they mm-hmm. have like a purer motive than humanity can understand. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk about Childhood's End and I've only seen <laughs> the TV adaptation. I've never actually read it, unfortunately. But in that, you know, aliens show up on Earth, go... Hey, what's going on? Um, we want to give you a bunch of cool stuff. Don't ask any questions for a while. We're just going to like cure disease and all that. And of course, humanity, some people are like, great. Other people are like, no, we're going to form this rebellion. And what it turns out to be, slight spoilers, is that none of it matters. Like what the aliens are doing will help us to a level, will take us beyond a singularity where we could con- be concerned about what happens to the sort of petty ideas that we have, you know, so they're helping us, but they're also really destroying our society as we know it. Like that's the kind of thing that you get. We get something like that in this, in that when the guy walks out and like shakes, you know, farmer Hoggett's hand, everything changes on earth, but our fundamental humanity doesn't really change. And so a lot of guys get punched in the face by the guy from quantum leap. (laughs) And like, part of me really likes that. Like, I, I joke about Archer punching guys all the time, but when he clocks that Vulcan in this episode, I was like, ew, ew, ew. <laughs> and uh, that dude is very punchable. <laughs> yeah, I well, yeah. Say. yeah. Shadowy figure. Um, but also we've got a show where the guy from Quantum Leap is punching everybody. And it's supposed to be a show where, uh, you know, we're drinking tea uh, with diplomats and we're going, yeah. mm, yes, we're so intellectual. So yeah, it's hard to, to parse those things. And Star Trek not only finds itself at a, uh, a, fulcrum point in the zeitgeist but also a fulcrum point in its identity which is like can we tell episodes or stories like this that are different than what you think of as trek 
Mm-hmm. Fast forward 19 years, they're just doing it now. Like Discovery, we're just doing it. They don't. Yeah. Now yeah, they're not totally. even asking themselves that question, uh, for better or for worse. Right. I do like, and that does Archer in that way sets himself aside from even you know people. People like to say like Kirk's like the swashbuckler captain. You know he's yeah this, but like Archer really is. You know yeah he's out there who's just like he he is like set with like already the rules he's like whatever you know um, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, I do like that and i do agree with you i like what i like the idea of like he's kind of going against it but i yeah i i want to see more and i, I kind of want to see like i want to see checks and balances is all i'm saying absolutely said, check yourself before you wreck yourself I'd or like before to you see, wreck anybody else yeah i'd like to see i just think it would be interesting to see more interplay other like i guess that's why tapal is there but i feel like all I can think of right now that she's bringing to the table is just like, you know, she can help them in the situation. Yeah. It's like, we got to convince her to like be on our side almost. I- I'd like to see, you know, more where it's like, maybe, maybe they're right sometimes. Maybe. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They really ever are. I think that we are supposed to side so much with the humans and that I think is a departure because I mean, I guess TOS was like it a little bit, but definitely TNG set up the idea that we weren't going to be right all the time. And yeah. our emotions are going to get in the way. Our preconceptions are going to get in the way. There's that famous quote that everybody loves to post from Picard about how you can make no mistakes and still lose. And that's just the way it is sometimes. That mm. is a very, very even-handed, broad sort of philosophy um, that is not doesn't show up in this <laughs> at all. It, Archer's always frustrated and mad, and he's almost always right. <laughs> right. And, and and I understand his frustration like he we he's grown up, you know, under the Vulcan uh protectorship of Earth and you know his dad didn't get to see him, you know, go into space and so I understand why he's frustrated but you know in contact when she says uh they should have sent a poet because yes, the things yeah. that she's say, seeing she can't even describe, they should have sent a diplomat. Like they send this guy out there <laughs> who's mad and he's You're resentful right, yeah. and he's yeah, and he's punching Gary Graham, or actually, I don't think he punches Gary Graham. He never would have made it off the ground, but he wants to. Uh, and and so he brings that to everything. And I don't think, uh, I actually haven't seen every episode of Enterprise yet, Confession. Uh, I've seen the major ones, but he never really is cured of that. At least, yeah. you know, not not really until like the very end. Um, and that's not the guy that I want out there. I want I want Captain Picard out there. I want right. somebody who who is more... Um, somebody like Captain Kirk who who can handle those emotions better. Um, yeah, totally. why is this guy out there? <laughs> I like I like the idea that the, like I do like that there's someone out there in the show that I don't want out there. But what's <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting about like other shows is like or or one aspect is that like in just TNG for example, it's like you know Picard can have one idea about one thing, but like obviously Worf because of his background can have some, some radically different take on something. And they're, right. they're even a show where they said there's no conflict. There is often good conflict between what they think is the right thing to do. Whereas this, I just don't think we talked about some of the lower tier characters. Like I don't, I don't know if, if Archer really wants to do something like what, you know, any, any of them are going to do about it. But maybe there's an episode where they deal with that. I don't know. And Worf's not in charge, and he's never in charge. You know, yes. his his solution is always shoot him, which I guess 
if there was a, uh, a Klingon television network, uh, he'd be the hero of that show and the episodes would be really short. Um, but he's but that- never he's never in charge. And even when we learn to love that character and he's been around for, you know, 14 years of TV, he's still never really in charge. And the only time that he is in charge when kill him is the right answer is when he is dealing with other Klingons. So our, right. our show always remains in the philosophy of Trek, which is it's always better to talk than to shoot. It's always better to shake hands than to throw a punch. And Enterprise is like. What if, what if <laughs> Worf was in charge? What if this was uh, one of those ships or captains that Picard meets and is like, what's going on with this guy? Like, what if that was our main ship and our main show? Which is not a bad idea. No, it's that not. But I don't awesome. think that they had the time, energy, or desire to really take it where it needed to go. That might, that might actually be what can make or break a Star Trek show is not how, quote unquote, Star Trek it is, but like, you hear the premise of a show and you're like, well, that sounds, you know, fascinating or not or whatever. And if it delivers on that premise, you know, it's called Section 31 and it's coming out soon. <laughs> OK, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Here we go. Yep. Well, let's do it. Let's talk about the smelling Vulcan in the room to Paul. Oh, yeah. Which is... that that's the most standout thing, I think, yep. in this episode of yeah. something I hate. Yeah. T'Pol is like, to quote George Lucas, is the key to this whole thing, if we can get her working, because we've never had a character this funny before. Uh, the quote went on too long, but the point is is that I think <laughs> T'Pol being a success as a presence and a character on the show would have really helped. And I don't think that that is what happens on the show, unfortunately. And I wouldn't put it at the feet of the actress Jolene Blaylock, who, to be honest, i never seen in anything else i don't really know yeah i don't know um what she's like i know that her depiction of t'pol is is fairly limited in most episodes um and of course all you know vulcan actors have to kind of pick their lane as far as portraying a vulcan but it's also the writing does her no favors and you and i have talked about you brought up how she's always (laughs) the butt of the joke I think we talked about this on a previous episode. When you have uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, it's three people who are all equal um, and in a triangle. So one guy's throwing it to one guy. One guy's making fun of the other guy. The two guys yes. gang up on one, but the other guy says something else, and now they're ganging up on the other guy. That never happens in the trifecta. Like, I love Trip. I love Archer. I love the idea of T'Pol, but she is always on the wrong end of things. And I don't know how it would be any different if we had a different character. Like, what if, um, you know, what if Gary Graham, well, like, came along instead? Would it be, would it be a different situation? Like, if we had a different personality for the Vulcan? Clearly, there was, um, you know, they were trying to put um, a character with some sex appeal in there, and so we got what we got. But yeah, if if she had worked, I think it could have worked, or would have had a, had a better chance to work. Yeah, I feel like her the depth of like the writing a lot a lot of the times cuz I'm sure there's there's some uh shining moments but like it it feels like more of like I don't want to say like a caricature but it almost is like what you expect from like a a like random Vulcan side character where you kind of hit hit those familiar Vulcan things and you go ha ah, ah, yeah the Vulcan you know like that's how I feel a lot of times when I when I see her in these episodes is like 
Yeah, okay. That's that is she does an okay job of portraying a Vulcan, but I, I feel like they could should have given her more to do or something, you know. A, a hook with their character. A lot of the beats are real heavy handed when Enterprise is remembering to do what it's uh what it's like pitch document says so you've got like you'll get a lot of episodes where they'll find an amazing like trinary star cluster and archer will be like man i'd really love to see that it's like really you're just punching somebody out like two minutes ago uh (laughs) but it's like no no i'm an explorer and one thing that they do is you set up this subtle racism between the vulcans and the uh, humans and they just landed on smelling bad the humans i guess smell bad and they hit that Every chance they get, like, early in the series, we just hear that over and over again. And it's like, find a new take. There are a lot of ways that you can... We, hum, humanity has a lot of experience at being racist. Like, find other things to do. Right. It, if And it sucks that that's, like, it's so early on, so that has to be, become the thing. Yeah. Like, I didn't have to, but that would have been one thing if it's, like, they said it, and it was, like, this weird one-off comment, but now it's, like, that's the thing. You and know? it isn't even true, necessarily. It could be just that, like... I don't know. Somebody farted at a at a <laughs> diplomatic function one time, and like now the Vulcans are like, "Oh, I I think they smell bad." Don't? Oh yeah. Oh, they definitely smell bad. And it's just, yeah. I mean, they're racist, but that's all you got. Yeah, and also, so also speaking of canon, the fact that it, it is like now it's canon that like to Paul didn't they say like she takes something for yes. the smell? Yes. Is, I don't know if that was a joke or something, but I was like, I don't care about like canon or whatever, but the fact that like that's that's somewhere in the history books like it's, drives me a little crazy. Yeah, um it's true. Uh but it's just one <laughs> of those things that you have to accept and and uh just, just move on. Like I used to think Dracar Noir smelled great, but now I can barely stand it. So, you know, people change. <laughs> Why'd they have to share a blanket? Oh, to, Enterprise. Like... Enterprise and its forced intimacy. <laughs> but, it, like, the moment didn't feel, it didn't feel no. like anything either. Well, it never feels like that when anybody's, you know, rubbing oil on each other's shits or whatever. So, but, yeah, we had to get something like that in there, so. Oh, yeah, they do have, like, a sexy oil scene with her, don't they? <laughs> Everybody, quick, to the to the sexy oil rubbing booth, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know, like, I didn't understand the purpose of it other than for the line, again, about smelling, because I was like, this. Th- th- it didn't feel like, oh, they like, that sucks, they have to share a blanket. It also didn't feel like, oh, what's going on? It just felt like it was so throwaway, much like earlier in the episode where the one guy's like, I will have you to her. As a prisoner, yes. yes. And I was like. <laughs> This what what is that? Yeah, that is uh, Fred Decker, uh, the guy that wrote Monster Squad and RoboCop yeah. Three, writing that, and then uh, Brandon Brogger, whoever reading it, going, "Is that no, no, no? That's what we're doing here. We're getting an extreme. We're intense." I'm not opposed to the idea of the Andorians being rapey, despicable, or <laughs> yeah, rapey. I guess. But oh like, no! If you have some something interesting to say, but. <laughs> It just felt like, ooh, this is gonna, this is really gonna get him. Uh, look, there's got to be. <laughs> we we both like the episode. Uh, we should. Oh yeah, sure, uh, sure. It was chosen as the number two fan favorite in an online poll conducted by uh, the United Paramount Network. Uh, so it's like the number two episode, uh, as far as UPN is concerned, of Enterprise. Um, so let's talk about some of the things that we really liked. There are a lot of Please. touches in this that I like. I like just the idea of like a hostage situation 
And, yeah. You know, like a simple dog premise. day afternoon situation they have to figure out. Yeah. I liked when they're uh, doing their pl- I don't know why the Andorians leave them alone for so long, but I like when they're doing their planning and they use the little um, tokens or prayer beads <laughs> or whatever. And they're making like the, the makeshift map. Um, I love the scene where <laughs> I love the scene where uh, Archer is all right. We need time for uh, this plan to work and Trip's going to be fixing this thing. So Archer's like, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. And then they take him in, and it's just all nonsense. He's just talking about the, the ball of string in Ohio or whatever. <laughs> just, yeah. And they're kicking the crap out of him. And I know you were joking, but on the Discord, you said, what's a Farscape? Now, first of all, don't make me hurt you. But second of <laughs> no, all. No, t- you can't talk about it on your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, here it is. Uh that's a very John Crichton move. It is a very it's okay. You would rarely see uh, somebody Kirk. You'd never see Picard do that, or maybe he has. But anyway, <laughs> it's it's so self-effacing. Do you know what I mean? Usually, yeah. our Trek heroes are smart and they are um, uh, they are sort of well put together, and so it's about talking or seducing the other person. In this case, Archer is a luminary. He's a our greatest astronaut on Earth. Out here, he's just a a yokel in a jumpsuit. So he knows that all he can do is just put his body in the way of this thing and buy 10 minutes for trip to get the job done. And so, you know, he's not able to like threaten Shran. He's not able to do anything. He's just be able to be, to play into the idea that we are just these hayseeds, these just idiot humans out in space to the point where even Shran is like, what is, what are you, what's going on with you? (laughs) you Do you just like getting punched? But it shows how smart I think that the Andorians and Shran is that in a lot of these shows and a lot of the episodes like this, it seems like every race that we meet has never – they haven't developed stalling. Uh, they don't know the, the he's going to be sick trick. Uh, they've never heard of playing possum. And we get a little bit of this, but then Shran is like, come on, he's just wasting our time, clearly. And they get him out of there. So we get to see like an interesting thing from both – people in this in this one scene yeah some back and forth yeah 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 i think i just uh i think i need you to explain every episode of uh, enterprise to me and i'll like it more i think (laughs) (laughs) well uh because i was i was watching that and i was look for that coming soon from the dressing up trip network (laughs) there we go that's a good idea yeah (laughs) i was i was watching this thinking like this is yeah. This is pretty fun. This is pretty fun. But uh, I like I when do... they blow that face up. Oh, the face. Yeah, yeah. which is um, I I laughed actually. It could have been anything. Way. It could have been a wall. It could have been yeah. But instead, they're like, eh, let's, just, let's blow a face up. Why not? I like they had a whole mission to go. You know, to go figure out that 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 the three. It was maybe a little cheesy, but they're like, I saw three things alight, and you're like, ah, oh, it's the it's the face holes. <laughs> you're right. I know when you could just look through the gaping mouth in this wall. <laughs> I liked just the seeing that um, geographic location. I guess like I thought that was really neat. Like seeing a, a little oh, bit more yeah. of a of a Vulcan monastery or whatever. Yeah, the episode fun. looks great. Like when you uh, we're uh, going to talk about an episode called uh, "We'll Always Have Paris." And in that episode, there's a cafe in France, apparently, yeah. which is clearly just like the corner of a soundstage with all the crap that we could find like thrown onto it. But this episode and a lot of ep- uh, Enterprise looks great. Like they really know what they're doing at this point and everything looks fantastic. 
I yeah, I always like where they go when they go to a planet in Star Trek and it's not just like some boulders and a purple sky, <laughs> yeah, you know, purple yeah. sky. Like this felt like a real place. Yeah, um I also like when they are uh they're they're having the phaser fight and the guys like there are many relics here. Be careful. It's like, okay, okay. And they just like <laughs> blow everything away. Uh, just priceless vases. They're in the, the back room of, of a museum and just blowing everything up. And there's, <laughs> and I think the prop person got a little uh, overzealous because at one point there's a sort of ancient, uh, it looks like a, like a Chinese uh, terracotta horse. And it's like, what, the Vulcans had horses? Uh, Is that what I'm to believe? Yeah, what's a Vulcan horse like, I wonder? It just, it looks like a horse. Oh, just they just had horses, I guess. Well, they talk about, I they talk about bats and no, never mind. They don't talk about bats. I know other planets have bats in Star Trek. Tiberian bats. There we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I like. Yeah, there the the trinkets do get a little bit like. Okay, this is this is a little bit uh, Halloween store trinkety, <laughs> a step up from that. But you know what I mean, like. Yeah. Um, but I overall, I think it was. It was cool. Like I always, we see always see like teases of uh, the Vulcan or like what you know what their buildings and like stuff like that would look like. And right. so just seeing something actually like furnished and not you know you know going back to the, like the original series, you don't you don't really get you get some fun sets and stuff. I always love those, but it was cool to see something that felt indoors. I guess I don't know. Yeah, and the observation post set at the end, which of course was all you know in effect, but yeah, um, was was kind of was was neat looking. I also like how I think I don't know. I, I was never bored in the episode, knowing no. where it goes. I was kind of like, okay, let's get there. But I think the first time I watched it, I did, I really didn't. I don't. Know, I read a review that said, if you don't know that there's gonna be a listening post at the end, then oh boy. I didn't know. I, I was surprised, and I and I like the fact that um, I like the I, I don't know. I just like that Archer is disgusted, and he's like, "Give me your disposable camera. There, take a bunch of pictures. Get that to the to the photo mat." <laughs> he's just takes it upon himself, which also like yeah, okay. So it's an international incident that the Vulcans have this thing spying on the Andorians, but also it's a big incident that. A human who is under the protection of the Vulcans busts into a Vulcan monastery, shoots up their relic, reliquary, and then reveals this huge state secret to like their enemy, and then punches a guy on the way out. Like, why is this guy not in jail on Vulcan? Yeah, I, I thought that was sick. Actually, though, yeah. that was really cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, thanks I, for the I, tour. <laughs> like, and he's just like, thanks for the tour. That. Uh, as far as like the story of the episode goes, I thought everything was everything was clicking the whole time. Even you know, I did know obviously someone here is up to something, you know. So I'm not going to be like I knew there was a listening post the whole time. Sure, but everything I think everything fell into line really well, and I was enjoying it. But that ending d- did make me think like I want to know what the consequences for this are, and it then it has kind of this more old school Star Trek thing where I like. I don't know, you know, we we probably, he probably gets like a slap on the wrist or something, you know, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Like that would be interesting. Some more. Yeah. Not that the whole series needs to be about this incident, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I think we've covered uh, just about all I can really think of for this episode. Uh, any th- last thoughts that you have, stuff that we haven't said? Um, like in the very beginning when they go there uh, to the down in there and the, like they have the guy who's just like trying to, you know, shoo them away. Like, yeah, almost, like it almost reminds me of like, uh, I don't know, you go, you know, you go into rob a bank and they're like trying to play it. Right. Cool, like, yeah. Everything's yeah. Normal. Yeah. Like it, it did that. That had probably the most tension for me than anything in the episode. And I, I thought that was a and, and Archer is really fun in that moment, too. So like, um, yeah, I just wanted to give that little moment a shout out too. I just saw the movie JCVD recently. Okay. <laughs> uh, which of course is the sort of meta movie starring Jean-Claude mm-hmm. Van Damme as himself. And it's, um, I wouldn't run out and see it. It's okay. It's not great. But it, the beginning of it starts with, um, well, the premise is that he's needs some money to give to his lawyer uh, for this like custody case that he's a part of. So he runs into this bank. It's actually a post office um, because you can get money from post offices in other countries. I don't know. Everywhere else that's not America <laughs> is weird. The Enterprise story. But um, and that that's happening. You know, it's being um, robbed. And so there's hostages. And he goes to the girl and he's like, oh, I'd like, I need some money, please. And she's like, uh, yeah, we don't have any money. He's like, how do you not have money? What are you talking about? And he has this like huge breakdown because he really needs this money. And the irony, of course, is that everybody has a gun to their head and they're like, shut up, man. It does not matter. Just leave. <laughs> Uh, we didn't have that kind of tension here. Uh, they just see a hint of blue skin between the slats of a, of a screen. So I, I wish that there was a little more, something more than just to Paul seeing a crooked mm. statue, you know, like somebody makes yeah. a mistake or the Vulcan guy is like, help me, or, or just something. Um, but, you know, once we get into it, uh, they get into it. And I like how <laughs> right away there's that. There's that that invisible asshole communication between uh, Trip and Archer, where it's like, "Are we gonna get to bust something up? Let's do it." And they're like, "Yeah, oh, they boy. just jump on it." I did love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's oh boy. Uh, what what does uh, Trip say? He's like, "No, no, it's I think you're thinking about the Blarney Stone, right?" Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or rubbing Buddha's belly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. What you said there. Um, to maybe put a cap on my feelings about you wish that scene, it reminded, you know, it reminds you of that trope, but maybe if it had a little bit more there, like that's kind of how I feel about a lot of the episode was I liked everything it did, but, but I wish it was a little more in every aspect, like figuring out the plan to like, you know, blow up the face and, you know, they, there's this whole element of the transporter. Will that work? You know, I, yeah, I wish there was just like a little bit more tension in the episode that of the hostage situation that might have made it a little bit more uh, exciting for me. Now that we've reached the end of the show, uh, normally you would receive a promotion because you have the rank of ensign and a promotion mm. to lieutenant junior grade. But as a podcaster on the Just Enough Trope Network and of other shows uh, on other networks, um, I think you qualify as a VIP or, or a dignitary um, an oh. ambassador, if you will. Ooh, an oh. ambassador like the Andorians in Journey to Babel, the um, you know the first I, time that we see the Andorians. Oh, I feel legendary at this point. Um, you remember Journey to Babel and the uh, the fake Andorian who's like, yeah, uh, his antenna that, breaks off. <laughs> that's the with Sarek. Sarek's there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a classic. Uh, so you said previously. <laughs> 
It was actually kind of sad if you go back and listen to the episode. Uh, you and Heal Mary, uh, your co-host on uh, Existence is uh, Futile. Uh, you, you guys, you were going to be a bar back and she was going to work in a, in an office in the Star Trek future. So (laughs) now that you, now that you have, uh, this elevated position, uh, what, what specific, uh, issue or conflict would you focus Hmm. on as an ambassador? Okay. Because I also think in, in backtracking, I said I, I was the assistant manager of that podcast. And I, suggest, I I tried to pitch you guys on a Star Trek cooking show that you could uh, that you could take and uh, run with. But okay, so my I'm trying to think. You know, you mentioned the other podcasts, so maybe I could be like an ambassador to. And I've done this before. Uh, I could be an ambassador to maybe pro wrestling or uh, okay. or video games or something like that. Sure. You know, like sure. if if you need to, if you ever need to interact with a. The uh, internet uh, wrestling community and need a filter because it's kind of it's kind of terrible. Like you could call me up. I'm sure they've so, done this in spirit, but I always thought that it would if if they'd found a professional wrestling planet, that would have been really oh cool. My you God. Know? Just like a planet where everybody has like a weird, very specific uh, gimmick. <laughs> like I'm I'm a barber, or just like guys who have like wear spikes and have face paint. And they're just, you know, they're normal people. They're just trying to, you know, get dilithium or something. But, yeah, it's like the wrestling planet. Right. They could find a planet where, like, for some reason, like, a bunch of old VHS tapes landed there. And, like, that became their whole culture. Vince McMahon is an idiot for never thinking of this. Wow. Okay, Do a piece yeah. of the action, but with, uh, yeah, WCW <laughs> wrestlers. Circa, that would be Circa so 1980, sick. yeah, or uh, the mid-80s, Sting comes in. It's Sting this week on Star Trek, The Next Generation. There's mullets. Oh, man. <laughs> well, you got it. You got it. We did it. <laughs> yes. It. <laughs> well, Ambassador Fame, thank you for joining me to talk about Star Trek and the Star Trek universe. If people want to continue the conversation, and they can, at, at EISTpod on Twitter and the Enterprising Individuals Facebook page, where can people find you online? Uh, I guess on Twitter would be the best place. At Gooey Fame is my handle. Sure. Um, yeah. Check me out there. And I should probably put a plug in here for our other Star Trek show on the network, Backtracking. As we mentioned before, we talk about the inspiration behind classic Trek episodes. Uh, it sounds a lot like what we did today. So if you enjoyed this, <laughs> head on much. over and listen to yeah what's going on on Backtracking. Do you want to talk about uh, your other shows too? Oh, sure. Yeah. You can check out Virtual Theater um, on you know, wherever you get your podcasts on SoundCloud, all that. Uh, it's at Virtual Theater X on Twitter. Um, I, I don't know. By this time, we'll have done Castlevania, the Netflix first season oh, on Netflix. Sure. Um, and we've got some other. What What else did we do recently? We did Wreck It Ralph, Prince of Persia. You know, we talk about all kinds of video game movies, or even sometimes we break the mold and do. We did like Avengers Endgame because. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I, I also have a show called uh, Pro Wrestling Required Viewing, which is, has been inactive, but we might we might be doing something soon. So uh, be on the lookout for that. All right. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. We're signing off until the next mission. Hailing frequencies close. On your mind.